ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That was great. Give me. Here's what I. Here's my Ben. By the way, Ben is uh, a brilliant, brilliant arguer. This is why law school was really made for you because you you just pretty much decided that my aesthetic life series of life choices can be boiled down to my mere cleverness as opposed to your <laughs> Aristotelian genius, which was a pretty good conceit. The problem with that is that means Aristotle. Never. By the way, I'm wrong. It's phronesis. It's phronesis. Well, whatever. Uh, whatever. Phronesis sounds like a, a middle-aged uh, problem. Phronesis is awesome. That's why I have practical wisdom is because I know that phronesis is awesome. If you suffer from phronesis, ask your doctor about <laughs> Cymbalta. I actually got a vaccine for that. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Just got paid. I mean, it is on. I actually Uh, literally did just get paid. Yeah, nice. That's good. Welcome to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, part of the Drive-In Podcast Network. Ben Barton, you are in Knoxville right now. Indeed. Living large. Doing well, living large. Jeff Simons, you're in Berkeley. I am not in Berkeley. I am in Marin County at my work office. I have not yet crossed the bridge. So I'm living the uh, Northern California hot tub dream for the next is, uh, hour is, or so. Is the commute going to be worse because of this podcast? No, no. The afternoon is piece of cake. It's the morning that's a that's okay. a total disaster. So okay. I'll be fine. Take your time. But tell your is, little tell your little stories, boys. I'm this, here for the afternoon. This is good. We've graduated from um, like medical issues with our 50 year old bodies to traffic patterns. Uh, and commuting. That's true. Remember that Chris Rock bit about how you get put on a grown-up play date when you're when your wife yeah, makes friends. Right. You that's sit right. there and the, like sometimes I take the expressway, but other <laughs> times I take surface street. Good <laughs> stuff. Hey, uh, I have a confession to make, and I need it to be okay with you guys. Um, I I I I created another podcast. And how's it going? Well. It needs it needs some magic. It needs a, a little Ben Barton and a little Jeff Simons to, to pop in. Okay. So mountain biking and music. Ben, do you mountain bike? You need India can cannon. She actually mountain bikes. Okay. And my son my son mountain bikes. Yeah, Will. Does Will listen to music when he mountain bikes? Yes, he does. He does. Maybe, maybe he could pop on and talk about the type of music that he listens to. That. Because I had four students do the Colorado Trail. Do you know what that is? Ooh, yes, I do. Biked from Denver to Durango. That's very cool and very challenging. Good for them. 500 miles over the Rockies. Yeah, pretty incredible. And, they, and what, they had like one, one album to listen to? Like, where's the music piece come in? They just need well, something to do? or? Well, it's fascinating you say that because really I had heard about one story uh, in their travels from a parent. And um, I really wanted to get that story. But so I kind of introduced it via music so that we could put it out on our show. So you're now want to publish your students' fun stories as fake episodes. You really are the man who brings everybody together, Tim. It's Don't not- talk to anybody in a grocery store. That's going to be an episode two. Like Thelma here <laughs> has quite a life watching Rhoda reruns while she eats lima beans this week. <laughs> I mean, I'm just planning for all, all eventualities. Like if one of us kicks off, like the, the show could still go on. Um, all right, well, I'll send you, I'll send you recordings because I would love to hear your reaction. It's not a fun story they tell. 
it is a terrifying story, which is going to be really fun. All right, but let's get to our podcast. It's 1990. Let's go. The Grammy winner, and I am going to bet, Jeff Simons, that Ben Barton will not recognize this album. Yeah, it's a hit or miss. He'll either know it immediately, or we could play the whole thing, and he'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> what the heck is going on? It's the Grammy winner. Back on the Block by Quincy Jones. on the block one thing that Brilliant. really helps if you're an elderly man if they're like the name of the record yeah. is <laughs> they just say it over and over again that really helps a lot thank you no, jeff you really helped me i mean if, cool. they, if, it, if the song had not been back on the block over oh, and yeah. over again i would not have got well it's like the mc hammer rule of songwriting if you oh, say yeah, it no, enough times sure. it's a cool saying i believe so that's good. the doobie brothers who said that as well now yeah. It w- was there a hit off this album? Was that? That was it. That, that was, was the hit. hit. Yeah. And no. they just said back on the block. There is no hit on this record. It is like, it's like all the outtakes from Michael Jackson's Dangerous Sessions. It makes me so together. happy because the Grammy voters were like, you know what the problem was when Michael Jackson won? Michael Jackson. If right. we could get rid of him and just have Quincy, and then Quincy better so album, they're like, thank goodness, look at this, yeah, at and last. It, and Quincy Jones could bring in like cool Modi to say back on the block. That would and make again, it. just to be clear, we've had really good luck with the albums versus the singles. Yes. Would you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. The albums by and large have been, have been good to okay. Yes. We, although are we like do you guys know we're going into a meander now like, oh no we're a, going to go into very weird territory we're this is the, a worrisome move right here this is worrisome like jethro till winning the first heavy metal Grammy. no no dude it was like the bobby brown one didn't cheer me up either like no. what else is on that record besides my prerogative i mean songs that go like 11 of those good stuff well, we're in, this, uh, we're in this particular new Jack swing moment that has not dated well to my humble ears. So, wow. All right. Well, that is the uh, Grammy winner. I, I wonder who else was up that year. Um, I haven't checked, but let's just jump in. We've got um, 1990. Here's what was happening in our lives. The United States invades Panama. My brother-in-law, a ranger, jumped into Panama like well parachuted in? Yeah, to, to free the Panamanian people from Noriega. Boy, Noriega good. was a really ugly guy. I mean, let's just... Uh, like unattractive or a bad ruler? Really unattractive human being. I remember when they first captured him, I was like, they're only in a place where television hasn't permeated the culture could a guy who looks like that be in charge of a country you know what i mean like once there's television you have to at least look like you know a symmetrical human to run the country but he was just a hot mess video video killed the dictator yes that's what i'm saying so we've got the uh the real first Inklings of globalization with McDonald's opening its first restaurant in Russia and its first restaurant in China in 1990. Who is the second restaurant to go in? Sorry, second American restaurant to go into Russia. Tell me it's KFC. I think it's KFC too. KFC is going to make big inroads into China, but the first one to go, no, sorry, the second one to go in is the hut. Ah, nice. the pizza, pizza hut. hut. And by the way, the McDonald's at right outside of, in Moscow, like right there by Red Square, uh-huh. was for a stretch, the world's busiest McDonald's. Yeah. Oh, was it really? Oh yeah, huh. totally. Lines out the door. Amazing. That's amazing. Uh, in 1990, smoking- oh, wait, hold on. I got an actual oh. question for you. Okay. So there was that one. Then there's the Champs Elysees McDonald's, which I have been to. I have been to the one at the Red Square. Dude, what's the busiest McDonald's in America? Jeff has been there with me. 
Are, I'm sorry. Are you on the internet right now, pulling this out? Or you? No, know no, this? dude. I know these. These are facts that I know off the top of my head. <laughs> ben loves McDonald's. Ben's Olympics is McDonald's. I would argue. <laughs> I've been to the busiest McDonald's with you. Yes. Shoot. I don't know. Uh, yeah. All right. So is- hold on. It's a roadside McDonald's. Okay. It's on a stretch of oh. I-95. Oh, is it the um, is it the one on the Turnpike? It's the Darien, Connecticut McDonald's. Right Basically, outside of 95. Right. You get through New York and your kids are all no, screaming. No. So first of all, 95 is the New Jersey Turnpike. Right. And there's nothing. It's You're like, I do not want to eat at Sparrow's. Thank you. <laughs> Vince Lombardi's then you have no idea. Center. Then you turn yeah. onto the, the GW Bridge and all of a sudden you're screwed. You're yeah. like, the next time you can get off the highway to get anything is in Darien, Connecticut. And dude, it's packed, that one. And you and I went there on the way up to to Massachusetts. I really wish it was in my anus, Connecticut, (laughs) which is the next town up from Darien. When you're driving, the first time you drive a 95 and you see the sign for my anus, Connecticut, you're like, there's a sign that says my anus (laughs) next door, right? And it makes me so happy. This summer, when two summers ago, when I drove the kids across the country, I knew it was coming. And I was like, kids, kids, the greatest town in America is coming up. Their first reaction was to howl with laughter. And their second reaction was like, when do you actually grow up? Like, is it (laughs) when does it happen? That's a fair question. Uh, But way to know our audience, Jeff Simons. Thank you. That's all. That's for you. That's for for you, Connecticut fans. Smoking is banned on cross country flights. I mean, we must have done this at some point, but I always sat in the smoking section. Mom oh, smoked, totally. uh, my mental mom smoked and I was just right there in the smoking section yeah. i mean the vent section. bitterly complained bitterly complained about that she was like what's gone wrong with america <laughs> dude my mom had a subscription she had a subscription to a smokers magazine that she got from like rj reynolds and jeff you will love this <laughs> It was called like R.J. Reynolds magazine. And on the cover, there was B.B. King with a cigarette. Guess what the tagline was? I don't know. Ill smoking. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Which was true literally and figuratively for our guy. I was thinking it might be the filter is gone. But uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, my mom, I remember the first thing we always did on a road trip was once you get over the Maryland state line, there's no state taxes on cigarettes in the states where tobacco is grown. So like five feet over the state line are all these warehouses full of cheap smokes. And we would go in and mom would buy $100 worth of cigarettes. Wow. Amazing. And we just fill the car with them. I always felt like we were like smugglers, you know, like, you know, the back, we were driving down 95 with a trunk full of smokes, you know, like, what, what, what is the family business? Um, this is, this is great that um, we all come from parents who smoke. Uh, so the impossible question, 1990 also offers us the first smoking ban in a bar. And I'm sure you can guess which state had the first smoking ban in a bar california california is correct so that's not the impossible question the impossible question is which city or town in california first banned smoking in bars i hope it's bakersfield it is not bakersfield carmel it's carmel california i don't know how far this is from carmel i wish i knew california geography better it's San Luis Obispo. Obispo, that's pretty close. Is it? Well. Yeah, All right, you did well. Yeah. Also, Clint Eastwood was probably mayor of Carmel in 1990. That's why no maybe I was. That's why I was guessing. Like they did it just to stick it to him. You know. Like, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, big year. Nelson Mandela is released. Um, you've got uh, Tim Barners Lee begins work on what? Oh, the Nelson Mandela family portrait i have no uh, idea sorry that was a that was like one bullet point to the next bullet point uh he began working on the world wide web oh is that right that that thing i thought al, I thought al gore invented oh that. boy here we go uh slobodan milosevic is elected president of serbia in that's 1990 go really well that's good news yeah awesome for those hopefully, guys hopefully hopefully that goes well um all right this this is actually the invitation to cynicism 
I want you to weigh in on your feelings about this. In 1990, the Royal New Zealand Navy discontinued its policy of a daily rum ration. You mean like everybody had to drink rum every day? <laughs> no, you just got it. You could trade it. It's like cigarettes right. in, in jail. Like you can <laughs> trade them. You don't have okay. to. Does the University of Tennessee have a daily rum ration? <laughs> I think it's it's case by case and usually in the morning for sure. That helps us. <laughs> and by the way, we'd have corn whiskey. We're not having rum. No, uh, I was yeah. say. What is what is this? Uh, Up until 1990. They were making sure all their sailors got their rum. You know, I kind of love weird rules that stick around like that. I, there's something kind of wonderful about, you know, just bizarre traditions that hang in there. For well, also, keep no in mind, reason. there wasn't drinkable water. So, like, people drank a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's an unbelievable the bill from the founders that's like George Washington paid the bill on a dinner that had all of the founders there. And it's like more than one bottle of whiskey per person and then a whole bunch of beer and wine on top of it. Like, it's insane <laughs> how much they were drinking. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get to the number one selling album of 1990. I wonder which song you're going to pick, Jeff. The only one I really know and still love. I'm gonna okay. just, like I'm gonna stick with title tracks. It's the number one album. Rhythm Nation 1814 by Janet Jackson. Same drum. How did Quincy Jones win the Grammy when that record came out this year? That's insane. Yeah, it really is. I do think the beginning of that song, though, sounds like when you sit in a movie theater and they want to show off the speaker system. Like, it's just like, <laughs> ping pong, bro. By the way, you say that like that's a critique. You're running that's it left praise. to right. That, that really sounds like, it sounds like the cassette that comes with your new speaker system. Like, listen to how Dolby turns your whole living room into a theater system. And then it becomes a song. But dude, in my opinion, that's very unfair. The reason oh, why that's unfair stop. is how freaking modern that sounded. Like, yeah. like, like, how quickly did the sampling thing get to where the best-selling album of the year sounds like that? You know I what know. I mean? Like that guitar part where it comes in and out and in and out on a loop like that. Like that's just like this. That they've been doing that for like a year. Like that's I just know. a brand new sound just pumped into your veins. And, and by the way, I, I, the keyboard sound, the whoa, 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 I hated that. Yeah. But that guitar sound, I was extra. The guitar sounds that. badass. I love that song. Only oh, for that guitar so sound. So good. It's such well, a the production. Song. I mean, like not to be mean to uh, Janet Jackson, but I mean, the production of those records is like yeah. off the hook. Hey, her great genius is knowing who to help her make a record. That Janet record she makes five years later yeah. is like is, groundbreaking in the way it sounds. Is like, this, who's the producer of this album? Is this Quincy Jones? No, is it Jimmy it, Jam and it's Terry still Lewis? Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, I think. Don't they do two records with her before she? That's what I thought. The other yeah. Dude? yeah, but they both hired the same drummer. Well, they hired the same drum machine. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's so funny is, isn't this the, this is the same year as Parents Just Don't Understand, which yeah. uses the same drum machine, but as a comic com comedy routine. Like yeah. all the drum parts on Parents Just Don't Understand are like 
call and response, like, here comes another verse, it's so funny. And then on here, it's trying to be like, you know, the, the sound of Rhythm Nation, but it's the same drum track. But the, the genius of it is like, and it, it, this is not the first time it happened. Like there's jazz records that are like this, where they're like, what if we only played good things in a row? Like, yeah. And the, the Cars records are a little bit like that too, where they're like, it's only going to be hooks. Like that's it. We're just going to put all the hooks on top of each other. Yeah. But when you're sampling, it's, it's actually weirdly easier. You know what I mean? You're like, what if we did something that was awesome when we just looped it over and over again and had Janet Jackson sing over it and they just hit it out of the park. <laughs> they did it. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, so, it's literally like, what if our meal was only ice cream? And you're like, yes, that would be good. Hey, um, out of curiosity, in 1990, serious question. Let's let's come to a tough talk with Tim Plank. Okay. I, I um, did. <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, at this stage of our lives, I, I think it's safe to say we all have careers that we are in the midst of our career, and I'm wondering. If when you were in college, did you see your current career as your career or, or, or what were you chasing in 1990 in college? What were you thinking at that time? Don't say, so sorry. Many uh, inappropriate don't make me say, come on. So what were you envisioning for yourself? What were you envisioning in 1990? I mean, had you declared pre-law then? No, Ben was a religion major. Yeah, totally. So here's the irony. Is ben that was I, a seeker. I was like, I'm going to either, at that time, I really, really, really liked being a religion major and philosophy. And I was like, what I should do is be a professor. And I went and talked to my, this is in 91, I went and talked to my thesis advisor, who was a brilliant man, and literally like one of the best teachers I've had K through period. Like he was yeah. an amazing teacher. And he was like, ah, that's not for you. And I was like, oh. really? Because like, I love it and I'm super into it. And he's like, oh, you're, you're awesome. Like your, your thesis is great. You're going to get honors. You're a fantastic student, but you should not be a professor of religious studies. And I was like, why? And he was like, you're a person who needs to be out and amongst the people doing things. And that's not what this job is. And so that was why I went to law school. Huh. I decided not to get a PhD. But then when I was, then when I went to law school, I did well enough where I got to be a professor. So like, it was weird. Like I actually hit the sweet spot where I got to do all of the things that I like. Huh. And now you're a man of the people. Indeed. But the, but the people are lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I'm not going to hear that from the man who runs the situate situation. You know what I mean? A person who's watching the Iran Contra hearing so we can get content for his column. I do not want to hear about a man of the people. <laughs> He's uh, a man of the people, but they're all defendants. That's yeah, the problem. No, for right sure. uh, what about you, Jeff? Uh, uh, well, I, you know, harbored dreams of being a musician, but I, I didn't really believe I was good enough. And I thought I was going to be a journalist, but both my parents are teachers. So I wasn't, oh. wasn't too far off the, and I mean, I did a, I went to the teacher search cattle call in April of my senior year that led to this job. So oh, that's 91, I right? Was probably senior. sniffing around it to begin with. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Anyway, I did not have a mentor at Haverford who I could go to and say, what should I do? I, uh, I was having a conversation with myself about, I need to make some money. Hello, self. Uh, all right. Well, good stuff. So in June of 1990, Joanna Rowling. What about, wait, you're skipping yourself? That was just like. I was just curious about you guys. I'm well, what I'm were you going to be? I'm the host. Oh, for God's sake. The people don't care about me. No, I uh, I was an English major also, and I was working at the Boston Globe. So I was thinking journalism. And it wasn't until, what, I was in my early 20s where I started substitute teaching. And I was like, huh, this is great. So, And that's what led me to grad school for education. But I, the three I, of us will agree on this, right? Like, I actually thought briefly about being a journalist, too. Uh -huh. I didn't choose it, but under no circumstances did I not choose it because I was like, that will cease to be a business <laughs> when I'm 50. <laughs> like, isn't it insane? It's like, insane. It's freaking no. crazy. The, it really the, is. the bullet we dodged with that. Like, it is really oh, amazing. God. We all three were like, maybe the world needs journalists. And the world was like, we don't need journalists. It's incredible. Gone. Gone. Uh, all right. So, in 1990, Joanna Rowling gets her idea for Harry Potter as she travels on a train from Manchester to London. She begins writing. 
She completes it in 1995, so four and a half years to write the uh, first book. It's finally published in 1997. Ha have you all read the series, both of you? I'm vaguely familiar, yes. Yes. I read the series twice, all the way through. Me too. And I've written scholarship, scholarship about it. Are oh, you uh, just before this goes any further? Are you a Harry Potter crank, Tim? Plain? No, I'm a huge fan. Oh, shoo! Because I really huge fan. I, I won't be having it. As a I will not fact, be having it. I have friends who are Harry Potter. Oh, cranks. those people could kiss my ass. That's exactly right. <laughs> Both, Both sides cheeks. up and down. Yep. Thank you. Yep. I, I like it so much. So the family and I have a discussion uh, constantly about how great she is at naming things. Like forget about plot and development and all that. Just the names she like Horcrux, Basilisk Lizard. I mean, the stuff she comes up with is yeah, the just are great. I perfect. totally agree. She's What's, a rhetorician without knowing that she what is. What is yeah. the greatest name? Name of a character, name of an object, name of anything that she comes up with in the series. What do you think? Like, it, I actually created an NCAA bracket and I have all the all these different names, 64 different names in the bracket. I mean, <laughs> it's a thing. I like Cornelius Fudge. Yeah, I'm a big too. fan of Cornelius Fudge. As a useless <laughs> bureaucrat, he's yeah. pretty good. It's pretty perfect. That's, that's well-named. That's, that's really tough to beat. They're great. I don't mind uh, Barty Crouch either as the <laughs> sneaky piece of shit covering up his secrets. That's a pretty great name too. Yeah, it's great. How do we I, feel about her being uh, canceled? I, I, uh, I you know, I haven't dealing with that at all. Or do you, are you like me? Oh, I, like, that I, George sounds... and I have had a bunch of conversations about it. Okay. Um, it's a really, really, really unfortunate thing in my opinion. Like it's just steering it. She didn't have to like, like, I just try and stay out of these sorts of things. You know what I mean? Like I'm an yeah. elderly person. I don't understand this. I'm just going to be quiet. Like that really would have been good for her. I'm an elderly this. person. Seriously. She doesn't understand fucking, she doesn't understand shit about this. So right. she should just be quiet. I she agree. is a jillionaire and a genius. And so yeah. she's like due to the, and this will happen to people of all genders, races, creeds, colors. When you're a jillionaire and a genius, you're like, I should really opine on things that I know nothing about. Yeah, so it true. just never works out. By the way, you sounded like unfrozen caveman lawyer there for a second. I'm just an elderly person. Lights frighten me. Uh, all right, well, we got to get moving. Um, yeah, we'll skip. We'll skip the people who died. All right, let's go into our three hours. That, that was the coldest in memoriam of all time. Our three albums. I went first last week, I think. It was Road Doll. All right. Oh. <laughs> ben, you right. go first. So I am very, very, very happy to report. First, I'm going to start with my process. So when I'm choosing an album, and it's been really fun because I did the songs first. So I chose all of the songs and I went through the years and I chose them. Some years were really easy. Some years were hard. Then for the albums, I filled in and there were some acts that I could not leave out. So Fear of a Black Planet is not actually my favorite Public Enemy record, but I would go back and listen to them. And you, you've heard me describe, like, for example, I went back and listened to the Duran Duran album, Rio, because I was like, I love Rio. I wonder if this album is good. Nope. No, that album is not good. It is not. No. Oh, this it's was, not as bad as you guys say. This was when really I fun to go back because... Basically, Fear of a Black Planet, I always considered to be the second best one. I never liked it as much as It Takes a Nation of Millions. But re-listening to it, I was like, wow. It's this great. This record is fantastic. It's great. It's underrated. Arguably better than It Takes a Nation of Millions. And here's why. Testify. I agree. It is. So it's 63 minutes long. And if you were to, to describe what they did to follow up on their hit, It Takes a Nation of Millions... They were like, let's be weirder and let's be blacker and let's be angrier. That's what we need to do. Like, oh, but record... also funnier. There's oh, it is so funny. many funny jokes on Fear of a Black Planet. It tempers the rage so beautifully. I think that's a little strong. It's a pretty angry record. <laughs> oh, dude. And Burn Hollywood Burn, when they're like, they sit down like, no playing. Driving oh, that's amazing. Like, motherfucker, that is so funny. That is such a funny moment in that song. 
so yeah, so this this record does a bunch of things that set the, the thing. First, Burn Hollywood Burn, Ice Cube and Big Daddy Kane are on that. This is one of the first albums where they bring together different disparate groups and put them on the same cut. And I mean, that's just a complete thing going forward from there. This is one of the first hip hop records with a bunch of weird like skits in the middle. But Interlude. here they're not skits. They're like un, like really bizarre sound collages that they just put out. There's like several different songs. Any song that's below two minutes is one of these where it's like mumbling and found sounds and the, the sampling. It's really, really, really super intense. The sampling is even denser and weirder than it takes a nation of millions. Um, but it does have, it has the, the, the two, um, it has several different joke songs. 911 is a joke. It's a hilarious song. Um, and can't do nothing for you, man. is hilarious. Jeff, what is the biggest hit on this record? Uh, well, it's track 20, right? It's fight the power. I now was about to ask you it's fight the power. Where yeah. do they place fight the power on their 63 <laughs> minute record? Dead last. The last <laughs> song. The last song. They're like, we need you to plow through some things before we get to this last song. Um, it's a super likable record. Uh, hey, Jeff, the Bomb Squad. Yeah. So that's the production group. Yep. The Bomb Squad put out two other super famous records in 1990. Can you name them? Nope. Ice Cube, America KKKK's wow, most that's wanted. The bomb squad wow. also. And Bell Biv DeVoe Poison. How about wow. that? Can you believe that 1990? Well, they should have just, I mean, I assume they just retired right Yeah, there. top of the world. Yeah, wow. totally insane. They also put out third base, the Cactus album. Oh, which is not, a, that's that one with Gas Face on it? Because that's yeah, totally. an underrated classic. For sure. Do you remember when Third Base came to Haverford, did a show, oh, came I remember to a party, and got Sad to report, I remember handsy. super well. Yeah. Oh, man. And that was the a, Great that was Adventures it. of Slick Rick is in 1989. Like, they were on a freaking tear, yep. these guys. Um, yeah, so this record, I really, really, really like it. I'll say, um, and this will be different from, from some folks who listen. I grew up in Brooklyn in the 70s and the 80s. And the like sort of the race struggle was a like a critical element of me growing up like Brooklyn in the 70s and 80s was a much, much, much tougher spot uh, than it is now. I mean, I guess, depending where you live in Brooklyn, but if you live in Park Slope, it's really nice or not. It's really wealthy now. And it used to be much, much more mixed. And these albums and this album in particular, like Fight the Power, like this is this record taught me as much about sort of African-American history and African-American intellectualism and the struggle as it taught me about James Brown, like the samples and the drops and the stuff it, like the, the very beginning of it. The sound collage includes a, includes a long quote from Elijah Muhammad. That's the first time I heard that dude's voice. Um, that was immensely powerful to me. This gave a voice to my experience of it. Like, I was like, oh, look at this. Like, these are people that I grew up with, and this is a struggle that they were having. Um, it was immensely powerful. It's crazy. This record sold 2 million copies, and Paul's Boutique sold 500,000. Like, this is, like, we've gone through this. Like, when you go through the 70s, you'll pick out these albums where you're like, how did this ever possibly sell? Like, who bought this record? Right. But then sometimes you get this weird work of art you're, where you're like, how did this sell? Like, how did this super challenging jazz collage with angry black people yelling at you over on top of it sell two million copies? It's amazing. It's one of these rare things where you're like, America might be okay. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just have to give a little bit of hope out here that in 1990, they sold two million of these records. It's amazing because it's not an easy listen at all. Welcome to the, oh, Jeff. Five minutes long. Welcome to the Terror Dome. How long before you get to the first time Chuck D raps and how long until you get to the chorus? I'm going to guess it's almost 45 seconds until he speaks. And the first line is, I've got so much trouble on my mind. Oh, Refuse to lose. And then here's a ticket. It's my favorite rap song of all time. I can't believe you're choosing this one. This is my favorite. How long until the chorus? 
Probably almost a minute and a half. Two, oh, two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. Wow. Two minutes. A welcome to the Terror Dome comes in two mm. minutes. And then, Jeff, how long is the weird bridge before Chuck D comes back in? I am probably close to 45 seconds. Another yeah. minute. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's actually 30 seconds before he starts rapping. Amazing. But Amazing. it's so good. And the, you know, I like it. Yeah. That was the first time I heard Soul Power by James Brown. And believe me, I sought that out off <laughs> this record. Welcome to the Terror Dome. From the top? Yep. You got it. Fear of a Black Planet by Public Enemy. So the start, the da 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 like that's just a classic old school rap sample, right? Like it's an actual horn part from a song that's super easy to listen to. And then it just and then, cuts right into the like that drone. And the description of the actual recording of it, like I just can't even imagine how they came up with that sound. Like it's just insane the way they use it, these samples. And then like you heard it, and then it, it, you go back and listen to it. It's like minute 132. He's like, Wah! they've got like yeah. one little guitar note where they Wah! just drop it in. And yep. they've got like, and that, that, that's Parliament. I'm almost positive. It's Maggot part. Brain. Yeah. Oh, sure. It's Funkadelic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the and the, the like the weird the drops in with the with the James Brown they'll give you entire chunks of things and then also like just the weird sound collage. I just my can't favorite say is enough. the voice that keeps coming back going. You get it, get it. Get oh yeah, it. No, I love no, that. Sure. <laughs> so great. But yeah, awesome. metaphysically bold. I still drop still the load. Drop the load. Like I mean, like and also just like this hustler is of culture. Keep in mind, this is 1990. We're just two years removed from Run DMC, like where everything's exactly on the beat, everything's enunciated and super clear. Like, just look at the way Chuck D comes, he's faster, slower, in, out, big words, small words, short declarative sentences, much longer paragraphs, all inside a rap thing. Like, it's just so intense. He's amazing. He's just remarkable. Yeah, it's my favorite. That's my favorite rap song. Here's, here's a hilarious comparison for our our hip-hop for our listeners who are not hip-hop fans the difference between um the first really important public enemy song which is uh the first song on nation of millions uh which i can uh sing but can't remember the name of at the moment what's <laughs> the first song on uh nation of millions i'm looking it up 
Base, hello, can you go? Death Row, what a oh, brother yeah. is back again. That is the incredible rhyme animal, the incredible D, couple of enemy number one. What the hell is the name of that song? <laughs> Countdown now, are we getting? No, no, Don't believe one. the hype. Don't, no, the one in between those two. The first song on it is Countdown. Oh, Bring the Noise. Bring the Noise. So Bring the Noise is Public Enemy's Mr. Jones. And Welcome to the Terror Dome is Public Enemy's Angels of the Silence. Oh, I like oh, it. I like that. Those first <laughs> like two County Crows records, like most people like the first one because it's the one with the hits and it's the one where they introduce the sound and you're like, oh, I, I recognize. And then County Crows, just like Public Enemy, took the hit first record and decided to make as weird a record as they could. And people who like it love it. And right. people who want to hear the first one find it a little bit hard to listen to. That's how I feel about Fear of a Black Planet. Like coming off Nations in real time, you're like, boy, this is a lot. It's kind of messy. It doesn't all work. As I get older, that's the one I listen to. I just yeah, love no, this for record. Sure. So there I you could, go. There's I a Public see, Enemy Counting Crows comparison. I could see Adam Duritz and Chuck D hanging out. Yeah. Stories. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. all right good stuff jeff what do you got i'm going so i'm taking such a crazy ass turn like our listeners are gonna have absolute whiplash but i am picking a cult record this year the cult? Uh, this is a cult a not, um, the, not the cult sorry. but a cult record so there are some records that outkick their coverage there are records that are way more important than they were in the moment they were released. There are records that are more important theoretically than they are in actuality. The ultimate version is Velvet Underground's first record with the banana on the cover with Nico on it, right? If you listen to that record with modern ears, some of it sounds quite silly. But everybody who listened to it in 1967 started a band and invented a whole alternative culture that produced some, some astonishing American art. There are records also that are pass keys between inner circle musician folks, right? Like if you name certain records or if you name certain players as guys you love, it's a way of telling people that you're not, that you're not just a fan of music, like you're a consumer of music. Like people are like, who's your favorite bass player? And if you say one of the two or three people everybody says, they don't know, but if you're like, well, I'm more of a Ron Carter guy, and they go, oh, from Miles Davis's second big band, okay, so this guy's like, you throw signals to each other using some of these references, like Bitches Brew by Miles Davis is a record like that, right? Like, and so my record of 1990, I did not know this. This is just a record that I was running the Haverford Record sta store Station, and we got a whole bunch of mail from, from, you know, a bunch of music in the mail. And I opened up one of the envelopes and a whole bunch of glitter fell out of it. Oh, dear. And I, and I was just like, well, that's interesting. And then when I pulled it out, the CD was encased in this like gooey packaging and like I know exactly full what of this glitter, is. right? And I opened it. I was like, you know, and it was obviously just designed to get you to listen to it. And I fell for it immediately. I love this record. I still love it. And um what I find amazing is I've gotten so much work off this record. Like mentioning this band has actually gotten me into recording studios with people I have no business recording with who are All way right. above my pay grade, who are way more famous. And, and I didn't even realize what I was doing at first. The first time, like people were just naming bands and I would be like, you know, what I used to really like is blank. And they would, it was like, I'd said, the magic pass key and like oh you're a fan of them are you and then the next thing you know like i'm being invited to play on more than one track they're asking me to try multiple instruments the name of the band is jellyfish jellyfish is a san francisco trio of three super talented guys and belly button which is the name of this record uh is a candy apple rock pop record ben have you heard of jellyfish oh Believe me, I, I have no heard idea, Jeff Simons no has worn me about out about on them. Okay. I'll just go ahead and say Beatlesque. <laughs> they definitely have a Beatlesque thing, but really not the cool Beatles. These guys are more Wings fans than Beatles fans, actually, right? Like better yet, we Wings-esque. No, no, exactly. They are. They are. It is. Um, if you take Beatles music and you put it through like. 70s bubblegum am pop music okay and then you put a whole bunch of weed on top of that okay you get jellyfish these guys are <laughs> incredible craftsmen like 
The live show is just a trio and they pull off this huge sound. The drummer plays standing up. The bass player also plays guitar and keys. The keyboardist also plays bass and guitar. They all three sing lead vocals. Every song's got eight part harmonies. They used every single toy they could find in the studio. There's toy pianos and xylophones and, and backwards guitars and 27 different layered guitars and turned around drum kits. Like these guys put every idea they ever liked ever in the history of recorded music into their first record. And I love it. I think they're great. And I have, I mean, (laughs) it is a band (laughs) that I have, like you mentioned it in passing. And the next thing you know, I'm like invited to, to hang out backstage at famous places. And it's not because of my shining personality or my particular talent as a musician. It's because I named myself as a jellyfish fan before I, someone else brought them up in the room first. I gotta, and it's, I gotta it's, start dropping jellyfish. It is one of those bands that that uh, guys our age who made a living in professional music absolutely adore, and they love them partly because they're underdogs. They never got big. They only made two records. It didn't sell very well, so it's it's uh, you had to kind of be in the know to get it. But I think it also speaks to like. This music is is hilariously joyful. Like you cannot put on a jellyfish record when you're in any kind of serious contemplative mood. Like this is not music okay. to stare off into space to. This is not music to think about the meaning of life. It, it can't hold a candle to cultural importance to almost anything we've talked about here. It <laughs> is just fun. It's a fried Milky Way bar with sprinkles on top of it, stuck into an ice cream sundae. Earlier, Ben was like, what if we just had ice cream for dinner? That's this record. Like, this is the ultimate ice cream for dinner. So I'm going to play track three, or some of it. It's called The King is Half Undressed. Not because I think it's the best song on the record, but you get a sense of just how over the top. We're going to start with a little harpsichord. And then we're going to have a full rock drum part. And then we're going to add seven or eight crazy guitar parts. And then a full Tower of Power horn section. And that's in the first 90 seconds. (laughs) So my pick for 1990, the uh, not well-known, but deeply, deeply beloved Jellyfish from uh, their first record, Belly Button. Here we go. Belly Button by Jellyfish. There's four more parts yeah. coming. We have two yeah. key changes and a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's fun stuff. Ben, you'll like that. <laughs> 
No, Benny no like you. What? How? Why not? So um, I, I actually looked this up. Ben's a cranky pants. So oh my in, God. in Aristotle, he makes a very clear distinction between what he calls practical wisdom, and the Greek word for that is hamartia, and what he derisively calls mere cleverness. Oh my God. This what? is a song of mere cleverness. I am out on mere cleverness. <laughs> All the different what? parts right in now. the background singing the clavic clavichord out. Clavinet. Clavinet. It's pretty. Sure. It's pretty. No, mere cleverness. Ouch. Man, I Jeff, I, I cannot believe I've never heard of jellyfish before. That's, I can't either. They're that's so right up my alley. Tea. Dude, it is the cup of tea you never knew you needed to drink. You're oh going to God. love them. That was great. Give me here's what I here's my Ben. By the way, Ben is uh, a brilliant, brilliant arguer. This is why law school was really made for you because you you just pretty much decided that my aesthetic life series of life choices can be boiled down to my mere cleverness as opposed to your <laughs> Aristotelian genius, which was a pretty good conceit. The problem with that is that means Aristotle never... By the way, I'm wrong. It's phronesis. It's phronesis. Well, whatever. Whatever. Phronesis sounds like a, a middle-aged uh, problem. Phronesis is awesome. That's why I have practical wisdom is because I know that phronesis is awesome. If you suffer from phronesis, ask your doctor about Cymbalta. <laughs> I actually got a vaccine for that. that By cool. the way, uh, we have to have a whole conversation in some podcast about the... the um, the erectile problem that they're calling the the bent banana syndrome. Have you seen these advertisements? What? Okay, came listen. On, look, go back came to jellyfish. Go back to jellyfish. Basketball. I'm so mad. I was, oh like, I, I was like, what is that? I'm like, I can't believe the world has put me in a position where I have to explain this to my kid. But anyway, the problem with saying that the mere cleverness is a problem is like, I think there are a lot of things that bring joy that are mere cleverness, like comedy for example, like satire is essentially the art of mere cleverness. I think belly button is the, is the rock and roll equivalent of great satire. What if we took all these ingredients and we put them together unapologetically and without irony, specifically for the purpose of enjoying them smashing together? I mean, that's a Saturday Night Live episode that's really well written. That's a, a parody that's like Triumph the Insult comic dog. Like those oh, things are mere. How dare you be those are, the those great triumph? Those things now you really hurt my feelings. I was going to let you slide them. on SNL, but not I triumph. I love them, but that's what they are. That they're just they're moments of of pattern recognition and reassemblage that bring joy. I have no problem with that, and this is work record does it better than almost any any attempt like it. Wow. All right, Timmy, let's hear your Phronesis. I, I learned two new words tonight. That's so great. Um, all right. So I am going to give Jellyfish a legitimate try. Belly Button was their first album. Yeah, there's only two. The second one's called Spilt Milk. It's really good, too. Okay. And Ben, you've listened to both. And you're yes, out indeed. Out. Wow. He does seem really sure of himself. They sounded just like the mayor of Simpleton. That's what it sounds oh, just like. And I, I was going to say that. Right. I didn't. Then it's going to work out for you, Timmy. If you like that, oh, you might like this. I love XTC. Golly. What? Okay. All right. So this is a, this is American clever, though. Like XTC <laughs> is definitely pastoral English clever. Like they're making references to 15th century poetry. Like this is like American 70s clever. Like they make Starsky and Hutch references. Like it, okay. it's a different kind of thing, okay. I think. Um, did you guys, by the way, we've had really nice uh, feedback this week. Did you see Jim Doherty's, Jim Doherty wrote a blog post about yes. us. Super really fun. sweet. Um, Jim Doherty is the man. Jim Doherty has a show, everyone, online. He's, he, he, he's got a Tuesday night, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. radio show. He does a show under the name DJ Calc. It's at the Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania College Radio Station. And he is the first American DJ to spin River Run. Woo! Yeah, dude, he's, a, he's been he's been a faithful fan. He's been really he's, good about he's it. He's been the greatest. He's been the and he has great taste. I love when he puts me in the show 
because I love to hear what songs he puts me in between, oh, and he uh, always nice. puts me in such great company. Oh, good. So, yeah. Now he's That's an old school DJ. Like yep. when you look at the set list, he's got it listed from one to twenty-five, and the songs flow and they make sense, and there's a yeah. whole scene a to it. Yep. Yeah. Wait to yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, he's thank you, uh, Jim, and thank you, Ricky Valero, for your, your awesome tweet. Um, he called us, I think, the best podcast in the universe, which it's high praise for sure. Right. Assuming the universe is your basement, Timmy. I assume he. I was. I assume he was high when he gave that praise. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, let's get to um, the best what, album of 1990. What exactly. I think is the best album of 1990. I am uh, gonna go with. Well, actually, Ben, this this might be right up your alley. I mean, I know you loved "Freedom" by George yeah. Michael, but do you know? If, if Faith by George Michael sold 20 million copies, do you know how many Listen Without Prejudice sold? Fewer than that, right? Oh, yeah. Eight million. I mean, he was... That's still a pretty good day at work, by the way. But if you're George Michael and you just had 20 million, you're thinking you're going to get 20 million again. Which album do you like better, Ben? I guess I like Faith better. I mean, I yeah. have more songs that I like on it. But what's so it's, it's really cool. You're you've been wrong twice tonight. Um, all right, Jeff, let's go with. Hold on. Oh, listen. Oh, without yeah. prejudice is not available yeah. on Apple. You're gonna have to Spotify. do um, that MTV unplugged version on Spotify. No, I'm not doing that. I mean, uh, I think we all agree that uh, screw that. Listen without prejudice, Volume One by George Michael. That drum beat is ident literally identical. But go okay, ahead. Go. Freedom go. 90 is the best song in this record. You're going to agree is. with that. Oh, okay. definitely. But you didn't choose it because we did it last time. Right, right. Yeah, okay. That's awesome. And this, I is mean, a good, a this is a good deep cut for sure. I oh, should just be clear. Feels... I actually, I mean, Faith has got more good songs to listen without prejudice, but Faith does not have anything that touches Freedom 90. That's I mean, what Freedom I was going to say. Like, right, wouldn't you agree with that? The two best on this album beat the two best on that album, hands down. Oh, yeah, no question. One? What's the second best one on this one? Waiting for that day, the one I just played. What do you mean? Yeah, I don't know. Do you know? Do you know who's the co-writer? Who he gives writing credits to? Help me. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards helped write that. You know why? Because it's uh, waiting yeah. on a friend. He stole it from no, waiting on a friend. No, because he ends it with "You can't always get." Oh, it. gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because it's also ripped off. It's also the chorus. Of, it's also every song ever written. It's C to F for a minute and a half. I just think of. Um, so wait, so hold on. So um, 
you do Freedom 90 yeah. against Faith. You agree Faith is the best song on Faith? Yes, Faith is the, yes. Okay, but so I, I take Freedom, Freedom 90, 90 over Faith. And then yep. you're taking that song? Yes. Over One More Try or yes. Father Figure? That's the yes. No yeah. way this song's better than Father Figure. Sorry. Oh, you guys like Father Figure? Yeah, I Father think Figure's weird. fantastic. And actually, oh. I prefer One More Try. Which one's One More Try? Can you remind me? So, Tim, you've never been in a brokenhearted gay relationship like Jeff and I. That's <laughs> exactly. the situation That's where really... you find it. I mean, I've got this elder man this that is, I'm always by the way, with, yeah. and when he leaves me, I'm so brokenhearted, I'm like, maybe figure. Yeah. just one more try. Okay, all right. This is a weird way for us to tell Tim, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Been a few episodes, but... Been a few episodes. We knew yeah, it was so going to happen. Figure and one more try. And then, I mean, we had this actual argument. I want your sex is a banger. Okay. I want your sex is a banger. I think that song's just hilariously ridiculous. Parts one and two. I, I'm here for part two. What about part two? Give me, give me, give me, come on! I'm still a little tired. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I like that parts one and two no, together. I want your are sex. About the well, I'm awake and feeling good. Maybe you have some coffee. Like it'll be good. What the, I want your six parts one and two is what about eight and a half minutes? That's about right. <laughs> uh, I think of uh, high fidelity. You guys both read High Fidelity. Yeah, I did. Like how his understanding of relationships and heartbreak was informed through listening to music. Like I don't think I had actually had a heartbreak at this time, but I thought oh, I had just from listening to this song. Like yeah, I've been sitting on that hill by myself tell him telling me i'm a fool by yeah. the way so waiting for that day is the second single okay freedom 90 is the third single what were they thinking what was first just see if you can i mean the, no one's gonna be able to name it i can't even hum it um yeah. praying for time no oh idea. yeah 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 because he wanted to be a serious artist give and, us some yeah. praying for time jeff yeah do I have to? And just right, go. go to a, it's a three minute song to just go to the middle. It's um it's about world peace. Oh. 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 Dare I say it? Those chord changes sound Beatlesque. <laughs> not, <laughs> not very good. Don't like them. By the way, so this is how you. This is why you sell eight million records and twenty million records. Like yeah. When Faith yeah. came out, the record company was like, "These are the singles," and he was like, "No, no, no, wait, I want to release Blank first. And they were like, "No, no, no, no." But when Listen with the Prejudice came out, he was like, "No, the serious song comes first." I am the, the artist. Order I moan and mumble in a ballad. That's well, even, the first single. It's <laughs> even worse than that because the record company was like, "Guess what? Your record's gonna be called. It's called Faith," and. You're going to be on the cover dancing in the jeans that are in the video for the song Faith, which is the first single. You basically are going to be indistinguishable from the word faith. That's how we <laughs> sell 20 million copies. And he's like, yes, I promise to fulfill that. And Next then, one. I think the record's called Listen Without Prejudice. And everybody in the room was like, ah, there goes 10 million copies. Oh, yeah. No, but no, no. The record should be called Freedom 90. That's the record. That's the name. And it should have a model on the cover with her sweater half off like the video. <laughs> that's the that's the concept. Well, I mean, but also Freedom 90 is a six and a half minute song. Like, I know. He just like once you get to once once you have unlimited funds, it gets a little out of hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wait till you hear the follow up to River End, Ben. You're going to hate it. <laughs> 20, 20 minute Beatlesque symphonies. That's no, no, that's not going to be it at all. You're like, I'm so tired of being a super famous rock star. I've got a six and a half minute song about it. That's right. Just, <laughs> just E minor to A for 25 minutes. He's going to get trapped in his own sweater in the video trying to take it off. <laughs> oh my God. That is what I am doing a parody. <laughs> My next single is definitely me doing all those models. Oh my God, tricks. a shot by shot recreation. Oh, that's horrifying. That that would scare America. That's <laughs> no, and also what you really need to do is the actual express yourself where you're licking from the bowl of milk. <laughs> I'm way ahead of really, That would hurt everyone's feelings for sure. <laughs> you would get your name out there. Oh my gosh. That'd be uh, that's going to be my holiday card, just the two of you. I'm going to be coming. I'm coming across the kitchen floor to that bowl of milk. <laughs> All right. Ah. Well done, fellas. Good times. Good times. Great. I'll see you in 1991.
hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.